Big Band Tuesday always surprises me at 6.30, and then at 8 on Tuesday, I'm always like, wait, why isn't it Big Band music? Because it's, it's Drancer's theme song coming back uh, for his hit. We will get to Drancer momentarily. The official automotive sponsor of Halford & Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Uh, and this hour of Halford & Bruff is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. As a reminder, get your What We Learned submissions in. It's coming up at 8.30. I know Izzy has one today. He put in the work. I'm prepared today. He put in the work. He prepared. This is the the half-hour warning for A-Dog and Lena uh, to maybe think about something for what we learned as well. Haven't actually heard from Lena today, Assume it, pr- probably because she's been hard at work managing the vibes in there. Hasn't the had time to get on the mic. pretty difficult to keep up with today. Okay. <laughs> well, hopefully you can find time to uh, to scrounge up on what we learned uh, in there. We'll, right we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we do have Drance on the line, correct? Yeah. All right. Well, I won't make him listen to this nonsense anymore. Uh, he is uh, from The Athletic covering the Canucks and also here on Sportsnet 650, Thomas Drance. What's going on, man? Gentlemen, not much. Just uh, enjoying uh, sort of one more quiet week before things begin to ramp up on the other side of Labor Day. But, uh, but yeah, doing well. Yeah, I mean, we saw some, some Canucks on the ice here in Vancouver, right? We're getting to that time of the year. Uh, it, it's also the time of year where... NHL.com is doing us all a solid and putting out these incredibly arbitrary ranking lists of uh, of top players at the at the various positions. And yesterday it was Quinn Hughes coming in at number twelve, the twelfth best defenseman in the NHL. Is it too high, too low, just about right? What do you think? I think twelve is about right for where what the team has achieved. You know, I think to get into that sort of elite group, the team needs to win more, right? Um, that's sort of how arbitrary rankings work, right? You, you sort of use team performance, high-profile performance, playoff performance as, as tiebreakers, as it were. Uh, you know, Quinn Hughes doesn't necessarily profile the way that people think of still uh, a 1A defenseman, just in terms of his size, in terms of the way that he can lead a rush, in terms of his playmaking being one of his best attributes, right? Uh, so, you know... When you're that type of player, when you're in that Rafalski-esque kind of mold, what, what puts you over the top is team performance. And so for Hughes at 12, you know, on an individual basis, are there 11 defensemen I'd rather, you know, watch every night in the NHL? No. But is that probably a fair ranking considering what the team has achieved? I, I'd just say it reflects more on what the Canucks have done as a group than on Hughes' individual abilities. I said this earlier, Drancer, um, how much is the Hughes perception in this market or around the league tied to the guy who's number one on that list, Kale McCarr? Yeah, I mean, you know, Kale McCarr's leveled up an, an incredible amount, right? I, I mean, I, I, I pushed hard in my belief that Quinn Hughes deserved to win Rookie of the Year, and that's still something I believe, right? It's not like I've watched Kale McCarr destroy everything right become an eater of worlds the two subsequent seasons and thought oh boy i really got that wrong in in rookie of the year voting um i don't think i did i think hughes was more impressive considering what was around him particularly at five on five in his rookie season it's just that since then mccarr has established himself as perhaps well not even perhaps the, the best defenseman in hockey 
a chance to be historically good if he continues on this trajectory. And Hughes, you know, took a bit of a step back in his sophomore season, particularly defensively. Bounced back a fair bit last year, but, you know, I don't know that, um, you know, it hasn't been the same linear progression toward Hall of Fame caliber play that Makar has had. Uh, I still think, I still think again, that if you look at their rookie seasons and look at their individual contributions and do the work to tease out which, in, which individual contributed what in those years, you know, Hughes was, Hughes had the better rookie year. But since then, Makar has gone on fuego. Uh, Quinn Hughes has had a more, you know, traditional player development path where, where maybe uh, a player takes a bit of a step back and then a, another step forward. And, and so we'll see. I think there's a chance still, uh, Hughes is still a year younger, for Hughes to, you know, have the same type of leap uh, in his age 22 season this upcoming year, or maybe his age 23 season. And in talking to some Canucks personnel, uh, you know, over the course of the past couple of weeks while I was working on the uh, uh, what, what we are hearing article with Dollywall, one thing that uh, a couple of people pointed out to me or, or said to me was they were really excited to see Quinn Hughes at training camp because by all accounts, the work that he's put in this summer has been, you know, at a, at a very, very intense level. Uh, we'll see if that pays off. Uh, you know, Hughes is not the type of player that I, I think anyone's going to make any money betting against. Over the course of his career, it'll be interesting to see uh, exactly what he looks like and exactly what you know he's decided to fix in his game over the course of the summer because that's the other thing that we've seen from him, right? Uh, defensive play. Defensive play is what I'm going to work on. And he comes back and is far better defensively, steps into the penalty kill, uh, does exceptionally well there. Uh, you know, I'll be curious to see what parts of his game uh, in the mold of the great ones always fix their issues, right, or, or, or address their issues or improve, make, make their weaknesses into strengths. I'll be curious to see exactly what Hughes has been focused on over what, the course of the summer when preseason begins. What do you want to see in terms of improvement from Quinn Hughes this year, Drance? Because, you know, as you pointed out, Kale McCarr, that glow up, that's, the, that's kind of once in a generation kind of stuff, right? To reach the level he has had, you're not going to count on that or expect that from a player. But at the same time, you know, Quinn Hughes, he, he has to be a, a star for this team to get to where they want to go. Are we just looking for incremental improvement? What does what the, the improvement need to be in your eyes for Quinn Hughes this year? Well, I think building on what he established last year, where he became a really effective penalty killer, right? The positional stuff in terms of positional defending, I think, was better last year. I still think, you know, there, it's not a size thing so much as it's just a, a, like a strength thing. Right at the end of the day, if you're going to be uh, a tough minutes lockdown number one guy, um, you know at five foot nine, five foot ten, uh, the way Hughes, you know, as Hughes is, you know, you do need to maximize how strong you are. So, so that side of it, I still think, is going to be something that we see as Hughes reaches the prime of his career, and this would, statistically speaking, anyway, be the first of his prime seasons. Right, twenty twenty two through twenty six. Uh, tends to be a player's statistical prime. So, you know, we're, we're there now. He's no pre-prime player anymore. He is truly going to be in his prime beginning this upcoming season. And so that would be one side. And then, you know, does that strength add some velocity to the shot as well? Um, you know, uh, there were concerns about Hughes' shot in his draft year. I, I don't think they were fair. Uh, I think his shot's been at least an average point shot all along. But if that could you know, level up with, you know, his 
physical maturation, that would be a sort of one other item that you'd, that you'd kind of look at. Um, you know, well, the last thing that I'm curious to see, because uh, I'd heard a lot this summer that, you know, the Canucks were concerned about the right side of their blue line. Well, you know, news bulletin, so are we all, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, one thing earlier in the year that, or early in the summer that I had heard was the Canucks were, you know, content with the fact that Oliver Ekman Larson and Dermott Travis Dermott could move over to the right side and help address that issue if need be. Uh, if the, if the options available on the market weren't to the Canucks liking. Now I, I believe the Canucks still kick the tires on some of the right defensemen in free agency. Uh, you know, I'm certain that they've been trying to acquire that type of player through trade, but ultimately with it not being done, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if they do move a right uh, or a lefty defender over to the right side. And, and one thing that was mentioned to me, uh, last week was, you know, Hughes is also a candidate. He, he hasn't done it before, but we might see it a little bit at training camp. Uh, we might even see Oliver Ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes both like play as a pair and both be given shots on the right side, like a chance on the right side and allow them to sort out, you know, who's more comfortable, who does the pair look, work better with playing on their offside. So that would be sort of another area uh, where you could see Hughes asked to stretch a bit by the Canucks in his, well, what is it? His third season now, so fourth, fourth season. Fourth, yeah. now. So that could be an area that we could see too. We're getting old, man. He's in his fourth <laughs> season. My yeah, goodness, Patterson in season five. <laughs> yeah, that's it's gone too fast. Hard to uh, hard to grapple with, to be honest. With you. I hesitate to give too much credence to uh, the, some of the texts. We got a couple texts this morning when we had this segment earlier. Uh, basically doing the old, you know, Quinn Hughes can't be a number one because he's not a big guy. He doesn't hit. He doesn't do all of the things that you know, Scott Stevens or Chris Pronger or pick your favorite big menacing number one D-man from the past sure. did. What would you say to the hockey fan who still views the game that way uh, <laughs> in describing what Quinn Hughes does as a number one, especially the way that the game is being played now, that makes it sort of supersede? Yes, I think we could all agree that if – there was that perfect defenseman that had the physicality and had the offensive ability and the skating ability, that that would be an unbelievable player. But what, what does Quinn Hughes and similar players like him do that make it so that he doesn't necessarily need to have that dimension in his game? Well, I mean, all you have to, the template's there for you and it's the reigning Stanley cup champions, right? I mean, when healthy, when healthy, the tallest of their top four defensemen and the heaviest of their top four defensemen is Devon Taves. Well, you don't really think of Devon Taves as a big, heavy guy, do you, right? I mean, I think he's just over six foot and maybe a hair under 200 pounds. And that's the biggest of that group of Makar, Taves, uh, Bowen Byram, and Gerard. So there you go, right? I mean, we just saw a team loaded, loaded with puck-moving defenders win the Stanley Cup. Uh, every guy, you know, basically, their, their, their highest leverage defensemen were all at six foot or under and, and I, you know, if one of them tipped the scales on uh, over 200, it was because they'd, you know, eaten a cheeseburger that day. So, you know, I think the game has become such a speed game that you've seen mobility sort of outpace size as a, a sort of um, like what delineates the really elite defensemen from you know, just the very good, the rank and file defenders. And, and so like even the big guys who are great now also have 
the ability to move, right? The, the ability to move is almost more important, at least in my eyes. And, and I think what we saw with, you know, Tampa Bay had such a hulking defense as they made three straight Stanley Cup finals. Obviously, Montreal had a hulking defense when they made it to the Cup final as well. We saw sort of a, a last summer in particular, we saw sort of a bounce back where size was at a premium again, and you saw big deals given to bigger defensemen on the open market. And then the Colorado Avalanche come, and one of the big questions about them going to the playoffs was, is that defense big enough to hold up? There were no questions by the end, right? They trounced everybody. And, you know, I, I think that's sort of a, a potential sea change. Like, we've, it's been a slow change over the course of the decade. And, you know, one moment that sticks out to me, too, was... Do you remember, like, you remember Prime Prongery, who you brought up, where it was like, it almost didn't matter what the rest of the team had. It, when he was on a team that was in the playoffs, there was like a, a better than even chance that they were going to win every series they were in, right? right. He, I mean, made the cup final with Edmonton, led Philly to the cup final, yep. right? Like, it was just ridiculous. Those teams weren't even that great, but Chris Pronger playing 25 minutes a night uh, was just stupendous. And, um, you know, I think we saw something similar with that Ottawa Senators team in, I guess, what was that, 2016 or 17? 17, yeah. Where they, yeah, where they made it to, um, you know, overtime of Game 7 against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that was just Eric Carlson, like, picking his teeth with everybody. And it was this moment for me where I was like, this is Eric Carlson having the type of impact we saw Pronger have earlier in the decade. But he's just doing it with his feet, with his mobility, with his ability to, you know, control the flow of the game. Uh, as a result of some of his other uh, attributes. And so that was like a moment to me uh, that really opened my eyes. And then I think the Avs winning again with that group, uh, with a relatively small group. I know they had guys like Manson, who was their fourth most used defenseman, five on five, and, um, you know, Jack Johnson. I mean, it wasn't all, um, it wasn't like they were a one-dimensional blue line of speedsters necessarily, but it wasn't a large group. They were built on speed first, and that, to me, feels also like a harbinger uh, of what we can expect from the evolution of the game going forward. Like, speed at this point is going to be so decisive in, you know, shaping who is a, an impactful shutdown guy uh, over the next 10 years as the league gets faster and faster. In conversation with Thomas Drance from The Athletic and Sportsnet 650 on Halford and Bruff. And you mentioned uh, you and Rick Dollywell published the piece at The Athletic. I believe it was on Friday, Drance, or just kind of taking stock of some of the things you're hearing about the Vancouver Canucks in late August. And obviously, of course, where else would you start? It is with JT Miller. You know, I, I'm trying to think of a fresh way uh, to tee you up to talk a little bit about there this. Is but, no, there is no fresh But way. I guess the we best have, way to put it out. is... <laughs> We have crushed this one. Like, how, this one is- how, if at all, has the dynamic and the thinking changed, right? Like, is there, is there any difference as we sit here on the eve of training camp, whether it's because of different leverage or different, you know, possibilities they're considering? Is there any change or is it simply status quo where we've been? Yeah, it's definitely status quo. But, it, you know, I think the change is going to come with, well, the change is going to come as we get closer and closer to the regular season, right? Because the moment you get up to the sort of eve of puck drop, right? You have a calculus that a player has to work through, which is, you know, I don't love this offer, but this is my last chance right now to sign the deal off of the 99 points career year that I just put in, right? 
or or I'm taking a risk uh, in terms of my health, in terms of my production, in terms of whether or not I can do it again. Um, you know, and, and also taking a risk in terms of the reality of free agency, right? Like increasingly, I'm sort of thinking about the reality of the free agent market in this flat cap era as something that I'd be pretty cautious about as a player, right? We saw what happened to free agent values around the league. Not that, not that there weren't some ill-advised deals handed out on the uh, you know, free agent frenzy day. There were. But the numbers weren't quite at the level that we'd have expected. Like a guy like Vincent Trocek, you know, he gets max term, but his AAV doesn't break $6 million, right? Um, Nazem Kadri, seven times seven. John Klingberg, seven times one, right? Like the market has changed. This isn't, you know, the summer of 2014 anymore, or 2016. 2016, right, was when Louis Erickson yep. and that group all signed. So, you know, it's a different time. And that sort of impacts your calculus too. And that to me is the most interesting part of this, right? The Canucks continue to reiterate that their preference is to extend JT Miller. Um, Miller's... <clears throat> camp's preference obviously is to sign a deal off of what he accomplished last year right and yet nothing's done to this point there still feels like a fair bit of uncertainty uh, around the canucks and miller in terms of how exactly this will play out um so you know the, the dynamic's going to change over the course of the next month but to this point it's status quo the other the other thing that will change i think and impact this a little bit is how much of a circus is this, right? Like how how overwhelming is the constant flow of speculation heading into training camp? How many questions is JT Miller asked about it right off the hop in his first availability? Uh, to what extent is this a distraction, right? That's the other mm-hmm. part of this that can become, um, you know, that can shift the dynamic a bit. But as of today, anyway, status quo. We'll keep talking about it, though. That's what we do. <laughs> That's right. In the spirit of long-term contracts, Drancer, uh, yesterday Jamie and I went pretty deep on the Julio Rodriguez contract with the Mariners and all of the, the different options and the, the ties to the right. MVP voting, all of that. Do you think the NHL would be better if those contracts were, were back on the table? I know we, we had the long-term contracts before and that was curbed. Do, do you think the league would be better if, if you know Connor McDavid could have signed a 15-, 16-year contract? No, I don't. I think it would, I mean, I don't, I think one thing that holds, not holds the NHL back, but one thing that I think hurts the NHL a bit is that I don't think you get as much player movement as you do in the NFL and the NBA, for example, and and the MLB, right? So, you know, for whatever reason, you know, we just don't get the same level of mega trades. We very rarely see star, star level players move. Um you know, teams build and they build slowly and they build passively. And there's just not, not enough of that, like, overwhelming, news-shattering 20 uh, or 12 months a year news cycle movement type things that we have in the other professional sports. And I think that matters. Like, I think having the NBA be in the news all summer because of the, the Kevin Durant saga is good for the league, right? It might be dramatic. It might make people roll their eyes. But... At the end of the day, it's something to talk about all summer, all year, right? Whereas hockey just kind of goes away in August, right? Like um, at the trade deadline, it's like, oh, will they or won't they move Tyler Bozak, right? As opposed to, <laughs> you know, the, the big stuff you get in, in other leagues. Um, the NBA had, you know, Rudy Gobert. The NFL had Tyreek Hill and, uh, 
and uh, Devontae Adams moving, right? I mean, that is tremendous. I, I think longer contracts in a hard cap league would make it so that, you know, we very rarely saw these guys move. I mean, other than Jeff Carter and Mike Richards from the previous era, right? Like most of those guys who signed the, the lifetime deals moved like late in their careers, right? It wasn't like prime era moves. I, I actually wonder if you'd be better off going the other way, particularly um, given, given that the NHL does fully guaranteed contracts, right? Um, I, I almost wonder if you'd be better off with less term uh, from a league, from a like global league standpoint, because obviously it wouldn't, wouldn't be better for the players. Um, but if you went move to shorter contracts, I wonder if that might create more of the sorts of, you know, big, uh, news claxons that I think the NHL could sorely use an injection of. Well, the interesting point on that, uh, the last thing about the shorter term contracts, I'm not so sure. I mean, I guess it does ultimately hurt the players, but if you look at it in the NBA Drancer, the introduction of short term contracts, I think has been a big uh, catalyst of increased pe- player power, right? Because there's always that right. next leverage point for them to kind of force their way to their preferred destination. So it's interesting. You know, I was kind of making the case that I would like to see the longer term deal return just because it removes the obnoxious kind of, uh oh, you know, this player's going to go to arbitration. Or are they going to do a bridge deal? It just lets you choose your guy when they're 21 years old and it's it's an important moment for the franchise. But if you are valuing player movement, and I agree with you that there's something to be said for that, the shorter term contracts, not only does it spur more player movement, but in some ways it can actually increase uh, player power, at least for the very high end players. Well, you're right. And, and one thing also is if you capped it at five for uh, second contract players, right? For example, all of your star players become UFAs basically yep. at the age of 26, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that would be that's not bad in terms of, um, in terms of how exactly this would work. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to that point too. Like I don't, I don't mind that side of it. And I, and I do think the, you know, the second contract lingers all summer, um, you know, teams either spend on the, on the big deal and get criticized and the, the player gets criticized for, you know, holding out. And even though they're not holding out, right, they're not under contract, but um, you know, that that's not a super healthy dynamic. And then, and then the only really good outcomes for teams involve them going long on a guy before he's peaked. Right. I mean, it, it does sort of make it a, a more intellectual exercise than an emotional one. And, and that's too bad, right? That's, yeah. uh, that's something that maybe, you know, Agreed. not, I don't think it's like, it, it hurts anybody. I don't think it's one of the things holding the league back. Like, I think it's good to have that type of, um, you know, speculation and conversation around the game, around its key players, uh, especially its key young players in big markets. But, you know, I, I don't know that it, adds uh, a lot of romance <laughs> into uh, into the league's business. And that's a good way to put it, the intellectual versus emotional, because I think the scenes we saw in Seattle and Mariners fans, that was very emotional, right? That was romantic, and that's that's something that doesn't exist in the same way in the NHL. But as you said, there's pros and cons uh, to both systems of yeah, doing it. Although if you do eight years, right? Like if you go yep. eight years right off the hop on a second contract player, you've got them through their 20s, basically. I mean, you know, it, it's not considering the timelines of a hockey player's career versus an MLB player's career, it's not really all that different going eight with a hockey player and 14 with a baseball player is, you know, the same thing for it, frankly, right. In terms of their longevity or expected longevity. So, I mean, that route is still available to, 
to teams. It's just that when a player goes eight or seven on their second contract, <clears throat> everyone looks at the cap number and goes like, oh, boy, like, man, that Mitch Marner contract, like, they're never going to win. They, there's, you know, as opposed to the team that goes three years, gets the lower cap hit. No one bats an eyelash or criticizes the team at all. And then a few years later, the team forces their way out to uh, the Florida Panthers. <laughs> Got to get had to get the Panthers in there, Drancer. I'm impressed that you able, you were able to do it at the last minute. Uh, we'll let you get back Under to your mor- we'll let you get back wire, to your morning, man. Thanks for the time. I enjoy, boys. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, Tom. It would not be a, a Thomas Drance hit or appearance on Sports at 650 without a Florida Panthers uh, reference. And I did I did have to laugh at this. Um, this text that came in there, unsigned. Can you please ask Drance to expand on his answers a bit? I feel like he's holding it back a bit for brevity. I did think when you set him up with the question of what what would you say to fans who think a defenseman still needs the big, the I was like, are you trying to set like the the all time record for longest answer on Sportsnet? It, it did cross my mind. I actually thought he was. Uh, I thought he was kind of brief. I actually Drance. agree. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot shorter than I was expecting it to be. I was like, is he's trying Drancer. to take the rest of the segment off with that question? I've done hits with Drancer where it's three questions. We actually had a conversation yeah, no, there. There we go. That was good. That That's, was this uh, is summer trance. <laughs> that was summer he trance. Didn't go absolutely. Full, you know, he could have gone flamethrower to this place on that uh, on that question. You set him up. up you set it. him up for <laughs> it, man. I was like, oh, this is gonna be interesting. Where's this one gonna go? Uh, all right, we are going to get into what we learned next. Send your submissions in. Hashtag WWL. What we learned in the last 24 hours of sports. Uh, Six fifty. Six fifty to the Dunbar Lumber text line. I assigned A-Dog and Lena with the assignment of coming up with what we learned. I know Izzy is locked and loaded. so I have one myself. We've got some to get through, but uh, get your submissions in as well. Hashtag WWL. Don't forget the moo cow this time, Jamie. That's right. (laughs) A little early one. A little early one. Just a a preview there. Uh, That's coming up next. It is Halford and Broth Sportsnet 650. If you're going through Abbotsford, there's a crash. Huntington at Ross down to single lane alternating traffic. What's going on? Welcome back. It is Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the day. Final segment of Big Band Tuesday. I'm going to miss Big Band Tuesday. It's sad. This is my last week on the morning show for the mm-hmm. summer. I, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. It's it's just gives me a little pep in my step. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, what we learned is coming up. First, though, uh, a little bit of, a little bit of business here. This hour of Halford & Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. The official automotive sponsor of Halford & Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. I hope you're looking forward to Norwegian Death Metal Thursdays. <laughs> I am not. That's going to be good. I am not quite as much. I haven't told anyone about this, of course, but we're going to give it a go. Let's see, though. Maybe I'll maybe I'll change my mind. I'm going to test it on on the guys. Exactly. You're you're the guinea pigs. We're the easier audience, I expect, for that than uh, than Halford and Bruff would be. But good luck with that. We'll see how it goes. Thank you. I'd like to watch Bruff listening to Norwegian Norwegian death death metal metal. just to see the facial reaction. Me too. I have no sense of what 
And I don't know why I would. There's no reason I would, but of what their musical taste is. Do you know, Andy? I'm not sure Bruff listens to music. <laughs> I think Halford likes hip hop. Like, yeah, no, Halford. Hal- actually, hip-hop. no, they are both big hip hop guys. Yeah. Halford, right. especially. There we go. I think Bruff just listens and, to. And Halford uh, likes Pearl Jam and that kind of okay. thing. Okay. I've, I've seen him wear a Pearl Jam t shirt before. Bruff listens to football music instrumentals on loop. He'll just listen to those like over and over Fox again. Like the Fox on NFL theme? Yeah, just da, like, da, 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 da. Yeah, Just over and over and over again. You can't actually sing that. It's copyrighted. <laughs> We're going to have to edit that out yeah. from the uh, <laughs> Edit that out just from the podcast. Singing in the wrong key, then we'll be fine. That was just that, for the live listeners. That's definitely in the wrong key. <laughs> All right. It is, uh, it is time for what we learned. No intro, as we know. So uh, I'll, I'll get right into it here. What we learned, Canadian RJ Barrett is cashing in signing a four-year deal worth up to $120 million with the New York Knickerbockers. Shout out to RJ Barrett. Congratulations. Not sure I would love that deal if I was the Knicks, given what RJ... I I know he has the potential on the upside, but he hasn't really shown that he's going to be that true superstar in the NBA. So I I don't know. I'm happy for him. Not sure I'd be thrilled if I was a Knicks fan. The thing that really jumped out to me here, Izzy, so R.J. Barrett, of course, was a first-round pick mm-hmm. for the Knicks. Play finishing his rookie year, going to sign this extension, or finishing his rookie contract, I should say, going to sign this extension. It's the first time that a Knicks first-round draft pick has signed a multi-year extension with the team since Charlie Ward in 1999. Think about that. Think about all of the first-round picks they've had, played out their rookie deal, and the team has been like, "Yeah, no, you haven't earned a multi-year deal. Sorry, they haven't had a one hit." Since Charlie Ward, and even Charlie Ward, nice player. Yeah. Not really moving the needle for you. That's an incredible run of futility. Incredible run of futility in drafting for the Knicks. It it is. And I mean, like, now at this point, to your point on R.J. Barrett, if you're a top three, top five pick, you're getting this extension. Oh, yeah. Unless you completely flame out. But that is, yes, that's, that's very Knicks. It's been downhill since 99. I know they've had a little... People maybe yeah. felt optimistic last year. But they, yeah, they've had some whiffs in the first round for sure. I think they've traded some of those picks too. They were pretty bad in the 2000s you know, with Isaiah and stuff, and making trades oh, yeah. and trying to bring him back to Fall Marbury and stuff like that. So uh, good for R.J. Barrett. You know, if, if Canada's going to be a, a dominant team in the, the international game, I, I think he's going to be a part he's of it. He's a, a vers- of it, he's a versatile sure. player. Yeah, he, he can do some things. And I think... It- as much as I don't think he's going to be, you know, a number one option on a championship team, you can still be a really good all-star level player without raising to that level. I did want to, you know, uh, yesterday Mike Timlin was the random athlete of the day. I guess yeah. today it's Charlie Ward. A little Charlie Ward tidbit. Obviously, won the Heisman Trophy. Du- dual sport yeah. athlete uh, in college. Won the Heisman Trophy playing quarterback for Florida, Florida State. State. Yeah. What I didn't realize... In his freshman year, he was the punter for Florida State. Look at that. So not even just a dual-sport athlete, but multi-talented within football as well. Shout-out to Charlie Ward. I'm very impressed. We need to we need to make this a bit this week. The random athlete of the day. We need, another, yeah. we need a, a random 90s athlete Yes. for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this Yesterday week. Yesterday it was Timlin Mike Timlin and, Charlie, and Ward. Charlie Ward. There we go. So we'll, we'll see who comes up. It's got to come up organically, right? So we'll see who comes up. Random 90s athlete of the day. We'll see who it's going to be for Wednesday. All right, I'm going to do it. Let's have a moo cow. Well done. Thank you. I nailed it, I thought. Is he you up? Yes, let's go. Uh, what we learned. Uh, Albert Pujols hit a homer last night. Homer number 694. The significance. Uh, Ross Detweiler is the guy that he hit the homer off of last night. Uh, 450th pitcher 
that Pujols has hit a homer off in his career, which passed Barry Bonds for the all-time record. Uh, obviously, if you look at you know Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, the guys that uh, are in the 700 club, uh, they there weren't as many teams, there weren't as many pitchers, so they hit their home runs off the same guys more often than not. Uh, but then also uh, that puts Pujols two behind A Rod at 696, and eight behind the 700 club or eight out of the 700 club, which, uh, you know, he hit eight, uh, in, um, or sorry, he's six, six. And he hit eight in August. Right. So far. And he's, he's on a tear. He's mostly only facing lefties right now, but if he, if he hits another eight, obviously he'll be in the, he'll be in the 700 club and, uh, they're, they're going to the postseason. Unless something dramatic happens, and that, what a what a year he's having Albert a Pujols. monster season. He is, and, he's having his best year in a decade, and obviously it's you know in a platoon role facing lefties and the universal DH in the in the NL now, so that helps as well. But it is interesting at forty two. I mean, he's mashing when he gets the chance, right? Like he has a he has a legitimately really impressive triple slash line. I do wonder if the the Cardinals say, hey, man, like you can come off the bench and hit lefties for us next year, too, if he's tempted to stick around and take a run at some of the other names on the home run list. I know he's supposed to be retiring, but if you can still hit like that, help out a team, why not, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wonder if 700 is uh, is something that he's interested in, but I mean, he, that guy's done pretty much everything in the game, so I'm sure he probably looks at a playoff run back in St. Louis as, as a great capstone. Yeah. But if he, if he I mean, I think... It's pretty safe to say he'll pass A-Rod, and I, I assume that'll make some people happy. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Um, the other thing that came up on the Albert Pujols thing, and I saw various different versions of this stat going around. So this one's from Dan Clark on Twitter. So on August 29th, 2001, oh, yeah, Serena Williams this. won at the U.S. Open, and Albert Pujols hit a home run. Yeah. It also happened 21 years later on yep. August 29th, Unreal. which is pretty remarkable. The other interesting part of that was back in 2001, uh, Vlad Guerrero Sr., Craig Biggio, and Dante Bichette all had hits on that day in their career. And then, of course, their sons yesterday, Vladdy Jr., Kevin Biggio, and Bo Bichette also all recorded a hit. So pretty remarkable, first of all, to see Serena Williams and Albert Pujols still doing it 21 years later, but it also been that next generation of players uh, that kind of puts in perspective just the longevity that the other two have had in their careers. I think it's time for another Moo Cow. Which of you wants to go first? A dog, Lena, who's up to bat? If you want to keep it on a baseball Do I ever theme, Aaron Judge hit his fiftieth home run of the season. Are you a are you a Yankees fan, Lena? Absolutely not. Okay. But good. it is in the Phew. headlines. Yes. He's he's becoming just the tenth player ever to record multiple fifty homer seasons. That is really impressive. Yeah. And look, I'm a I'm a Yankees hater. Always have been, always will be. I was very, very concerned when it looked like Aaron Judge was going to pretty easily get to 60 earlier in the year. Still has a chance. I mean, needs to have 10 home runs the rest of the way. Very doable for Aaron Judge, but definitely not a guarantee. But, I mean, even I got to tip my hat that, be, what did you say, is one of 10 or 11 players to have multiple 50 home run seasons? Out of 10, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. That is, that's a, an impressive list to join, especially when you factor in that, you know, like Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire are on that list. Mm-hmm. We all know what the situation was there, right, with those players. So Bonds, obviously. Yeah, you take those names out, and it becomes even more impressive for Aaron Judge. I mean, the other thing I like about it is that uh, he just keeps driving the price up if he is going to stay 
with the Yankees, which I enjoy that very much as a Yankees hater. All right, let's have a mook out. Actually, wait, I'm pulled up Barry Bonds, and he... Just the ones, yeah, right? it's 73, but he's got... A 49, 49 I think. Yeah. 46, 45, because I pulled up Ryan Howard. He's a 58, and then a bunch of uh, yeah. high 40s. But So, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. That's pretty good. There you go. All right, we did an early moo cow, but A-Dog, you're up. Yeah, over to hockey. Uh, this is off of a province.com article by Keith Frazier. You can read it there. A judge has frozen the assets of a former Canuck draft pick facing $2.8 million fraud allegations. A lawsuit states Prab Ray, is it Ray Rye? Prab Ray, a fifth-round pick in the 2008 NHL draft, uh, held himself out to be successful and a wealthy business person and is now uh, facing, he, def- he apparently allegedly defrauded a realtor of more than $2.8 million, and this is going to be going to trial January of next year. So Tough times. Yes. Tough times for Prab Ray. Uh, the, some of the details I of that one are morning. pretty wild. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's too long of an article to go into all of it here, but I would urge you to go to theprovince.com and, and check it out because, yeah, it's, it's a pretty wild story. Uh, all right, let's go to what am I supposed to call for? The printer, the printer noise, right? There we go. The humanoids. The humanoids. Sure, why not? We'll call them that. Uh, 650, 650, get your submissions in. What we learned, uh, 650, 650, what we learned over the last 24 hours of sports. Tanbeer text in. What we learned, Quinn Hughes gets no respect from around the league. Easily a top 10 D-man in the league. I'm very disappointed in Drancer for agreeing with NHL.com. Here's the thing. This always drives me nuts. when It's like when you have a player second on your MVP ballot or your Hart Trophy ballot. And it's like, oh, the disrespect. You're saying they're the second best player in the league that year. That's not disrespectful. That's an incredible compliment. <laughs> it's the same thing here. The difference between you're saying, oh, how can they not have him top 10? Well, they had him 12. That's two spots outside the top 10. That's no great disrespect. And the, as it always goes with these things, you got to say who you take out, right? Now, look, if you want to make the case that he should be above Mo Sider or above John Carlson, I can hear that. But obviously, there's ways you could make the case that people below him should be above Quinn Hughes. It's not disrespectful to say that somebody is the 12th best defenseman in the league. That's a very that is very very high praise. And to be fair, as Drancer pointed out, to really get into that top five range, you're going to need to have some sort of team success, some sort of hardware to your name as well, which Quinn Hughes doesn't have yet. Could it? Could easily have it in the next couple of seasons, and then we'll see him rise up that ranking. But we don't have to have a chip on our shoulder about number twelve. <laughs> That's good. That's a really really good ranking. It is. It is. Uh, and I, when I look at these lists, I, I tend to just naturally put in at the tiers. Yeah, you can't really quibble with the top five. That's kind of the approved list at this point. I mean, I think some people might not look at Charlie McAvoy that way, but uh, he's, in my view, absolutely I part of that conversation. Yeah, and so then you've got Quinn Hughes just just below that, which to you, to your point, Jamie is is not a slight in any respect. No, absolutely not. Uh, this one comes in as well. Lost it here for a second. Oh, here we go. Uh, what we learned, I learned Jack Eichel says he's not making excuses for last year and in the same breath made an excuse for last year. That one is from Marcus and Gibson's Jack Eichel, I think is going to be one of the most interesting players to watch in the NHL next year. You know, while we're talking about the NHL.com rankings, I think he was down at like 16th in centers, something mm-hmm. like that, below Elias Pettersson. And you understand it. He didn't have the strongest year. And part of that's yeah, going to hurt. a new team, injuries, all of that. He's 
a phenomenal player yeah. when he's healthy. He's right? one of the, he's on the short list of players that I've seen in person recently. So I, I guess by recently, this goes back to 1920 because uh, I didn't see him play last year. I saw him play for Buffalo. Yeah, and he was unbelievable. Yeah, in person, uh, playing against the Canucks, I was just like, whoa. Okay, I, I knew this guy was good. We knew the hype going into that draft. That team was so bad in Buffalo for a long time, and I, I you could have a, a real legitimate conversation about what impact he had on that and should he have been a better leader, all of that stuff. I think that's probably fair. Now, in Vegas, potentially unleashed, potentially mm-hmm. playing with Mark Stone, that should be, I, I don't know. My expectations are high. And Vegas, it's it's really interesting because they've got obviously some tough situations going there, right, with the goaltending. They had to trade Max Pacioretty. If, if Eichel, Pacioretty, and Stone could have played together for a full year, you love the potential of that line. But still... I mean, I'm a huge Mark Stone fan, Mark Stone believer. I think he's, you know, maybe still one of the most underrated players in the league. If Jack Eichel gets back to the Jack Eichel you were talking about, Izzy, that pairing has the potential to be one of the best duos, certainly in the Western Conference, maybe in the league. And if they're playing at that level, it might not matter too much who the Golden Knights have in net. So I do think people are have forgotten what the ceiling for Jack Eichel looks like a little bit. You know what I mean? And we could get, if we get a reminder of it, even with all the other issues Vegas has, I think they're going to be dangerous in the Pacific Division and in the Western Conference here. Uh, still time for a few more what we learned, so get them in 650-650. Iron Blair texts in uh, what I learned. I said to my pal that it was going to take Danny Jansen to pull the Jays out of the slump, and he did it. Go Jays. You got to buy a lottery ticket there, Iron Blair. You <laughs> called it. You nailed it. You knew it was going to be the number nine hitter, the catcher, the least likely option of all of them. Danny Jansen to uh, hit the big home run and then the game-winning RBI for the Jays yesterday. That's uh, that's an, some impressive forecasting. Yeah. Credit where credit's Credit due. Credit where credit is due, indeed. Uh, another one here from Snoop the Dog. What we learned, JT Miller is still a Vancouver Canuck. That's true. And, uh, you know, we talked about it with Drance, but I don't know. I don't really see the situation changing. I, I think we're going to be going into the trade deadline talking about it, is he? I, I, unless one side blinks in a big way, because everything we've heard is they're not close. Yeah, There hasn't been traction. There hasn't been really serious back and forth. Unless one side really, really decides to bend here, and I don't exactly know what would prompt that at this point, I, I think it, it's going to be status quo until at least we, we approach the trade deadline. Yeah, I can see that. And look, it's it's different. Uh, I, I've brought up this player as the comparable a, a few times, Tomas Hurdle, who had a situation with San Jose. His contract mm-hmm. was up. Uh, and there were trade Like, it, it seemed very possible that the Sharks would trade him. Ultimately, they signed him to a long-term deal, and a deal that I'm sure JT Miller thinks that he should surpass. They're basically the same age, and Miller's mm-hmm. produced more points and, and certainly coming off of a better season. That that's part of the calculus, right? Like uh, Drancer said it, you know, ninety nine point season. You want to capitalize on that. What if he gets off to a slow start? All of that uh, is 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 part of this. And yes, Jamie, I would I would bet that we'll we'll be talking about this for a while. Yeah, it's not going away. As frustrating as that might be, right? And my hope is that as much as it is going to be an underlying story, a subplot until it's resolved one way or another. I hope it's not the plot, the story. You know what I mean? I hope that at least the team performs up to a level where we're talking about, hey, they're in a playoff race. We're talking about, you know, Elias Pettersson reestablishing his form as a number one center. We're talking about the improvements Quinn Hughes has made. 
I want there to be enough on the ice interesting stories that keep the JT Miller situation at least on the back burner. It's not going to go away. I just don't want it to be the number one thing day after day after day in the season. <laughs> just give us some hockey to talk about. You know what I mean? I got one for you. The PNE Star Spectacular lineup was making the rounds on uh, Twitter yesterday. This is the, the, our local PNE, of course, one of their first ever musical event lineups and their poster. Get Check out this lineup. Frank Sinatra, Neil Sedaka, Ray Charles, Johnny Cash, Neil Young, Bachman Turner Overdrive. It's not bad. All played at yeah. our PE. I wow. noticed that. Back in nineteen seventy six. A slightly different level of uh of star power than than you get at the PE today. Not to insult any of the performers there, but don't go too much on these guys though, because it we don't want to make a big deal about LeBron being in Vancouver. I don't know if we should make a big deal about Frank Sinatra, Ray Charles being in town. It's just not a big deal, right? It's true. It's true. We I got, did we... get in trouble for um, saying, remember there was a story about the one mini donuts yes. that's not going to be there? And I said I didn't care because there were still going to be other mini donuts. And people texted me. They in. came for you. Well, you don't get it then. You don't get it. Those are the mini donuts. It's like, <laughs> no, they're not the only mini donuts. There's other ones there. There's not even the original one. Anyways, we don't have to we don't we have to want, rehash that. If we want to stay on the food theme, do we ever? The Starbucks new fall menu is out. <laughs> Pumpkin today. spice lattes are back, baby. What is this SpawnCon? <laughs> what are you doing, Lena? Director of Vibes and uh-huh. Director of Vibes and got that Starbucks money on the side. <laughs> That's what she's doing. Hey, making deals. Never too early to start pumpkin spice. No, 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 no. I do appreciate that. Couldn't they have at least waited till September 1st, though? I know. Or like after Labor Day? Well, why do it today of all days? That's bizarre. On the hottest day. Yes. No one who wants a pumpkin spice latte right now. I mean, or, I guess somebody does. Or an apple crisp oat milk macchiato. No. Ooh. As long as I can still get my my summer drinks, then I'm fine. I don't care. But I'm a I'm an iced coffee all year round kind of guy. So I I just need the like the vanilla ice cream or iced coffee. That's <laughs> ice vanilla cream. ice cream. Okay. I mean that would be great. But the uh, the vanilla iced coffee, as long as I can get that and it's not kicked off the menu. Then I'm good. I'm, I'm not going for the. Uh, I, I'm not going for. You're not, the, you're not a pumpkin spice. I'm not guy? a pumpkin spice guy. I, I'm a bit of a beer connoisseur, working at a craft beer store as well. And I gotta say, I get very excited this time of year because it's not too far away that we get the we, beers. Yeah, the yeah. pumpkin beer. Are you baby. a pumpkin beer guy? Oh, they're delicious. Well, I mean, it, honestly, it defend, depends brewery to brewery. They're not. Yeah. All, they're not all good. Right. It's a hard beer to balance. But yeah. When it's good, it's delicious. I might need you to recommend me one. Yeah, please. This Same. year, because I've had some not great experiences, yeah. but I think. I can see it as kind of like a once or twice a season thing. You know what I mean? You well, sit yeah. down with a nice pumpkin beer. Yeah. It's, it's for, there's like this two-week period where a bunch of local breweries start pumping them out. And, uh, you know, hit or miss. They're not all great, but, but but there are some really good ones. You know what I really do enjoy? And this is getting, we're getting a few months ahead of ourselves. But you can do the beer advent calendars yes. in December. Oh, yeah. I've done them. Love that. New beer yeah. every day. Some of them are pretty out there. Some yep. of them are pretty weird. But you get yes. to try something different. I, I remember I did it a few years ago with the Pine Needle. Was yeah. a standout. Oh yeah, okay. It actually, was not bad. I liked it. I, w- I wouldn't the... have it every day, but it was good. I'm a fan of the chestnut ale. Those are nice. Yeah, sure. <laughs> over over the sure. holiday season, I can see that. Yeah, we've well, had though. some good eggnog latte beers in the past that are delicious. Eggnog latte, not even just yeah. eggnog. Yeah, eggnog latte beers. Interesting. Really tasty. Uh, Surrey Ryan says, "FYI, I tried the other mini donuts at the PNE. Honestly, Take they were that, they were a bit soft and soggy. The original spot had a nice crisp to them. So there you go. They were right, man. You maybe, just don't maybe get I it, just dude. don't get it. Maybe I just don't get it. All right, that is going to do it for us today. We will be back tomorrow uh, with another full show, another random '90s athlete. Uh, keep it here on Sportsnet 650. This has been Halford and Bruff.